recording in progress. Okay, so um, we're here on a call with four fairly ordinary guys from the UK who are on a similar journey with Jesus and we're all doing things in slightly different ways and different contexts. But we thought we would get together to share our experiences of, of working towards seeing multiplication movements in the UK. And we're going to ask each other four questions. And I'm going to shoot over to Nick first and ask him, Nick, why don't you explain a bit about yourself and your journey into this work? Okay, so my name's Nick. I'm in Manchester in the northwest of the UK. We're living with my wife, Becky, and our four daughters. Uh, I guess it started for us about seven years ago. Uh, I was on staff at a local church, really like outward looking, pioneering, even, you know, really wanting to share Jesus with people. Uh, we were meeting in a nightclub for church and I was doing like a, a part-time degree in kingdom theology, uh, which was which was really good. Every week we'd go and this local church leader who was facilitating the time would start every week off with prayer and then he'd say, right, has anyone got any stories of what God's done this week? And there'd be about 25 of us in the room and it'd be like crickets every week, apart from this one guy called Richard, who you actually know, Ben. Richard's based in Chester. And every week he'd, he'd be sharing this incredible tale of, oh, you know, Jesus meeting some guys, some drunks in a park, and then they're weeping and oh, they're meeting up discipling some guys in a local cafe and after about three or four weeks of this I'm getting quite annoyed <laughs> thinking well this is embarrassing because there's quite a few other church leaders in the room here and this guy he's not even leading a church or anything and he's what's he doing like what is going on so I private message I messaged him privately I think we had a break for summer and I messaged him privately and I just said I'd love to come and meet with you and your wife me and my wife and uh just see what you just hear more about what you're doing so we traveled over to Chester met up with him and his wife he was sharing all about what they were doing and it was so different and upside down to the way we'd been doing things that I actually sat in his living room and dismissed it and I said, that, I don't think that's church. I don't know if that's right. And I always thank Jesus for his grace, this, this guy's grace and his wife's grace, because they didn't argue or anything. They just said, okay, just let us pray for you, as, you know, and we'll stay in touch. And so that was the journey in. And then we, we I think in, about a year later, we got some training uh, via someone that was, doing the similar stuff in the field. And uh, then Richard's wife, Wendy, she actually came from Chester every week to go out into the harvest, into the local community with me and some others that we'd gathered. And I was just like, wow, what a, what a gift from God they are and they were to us. And uh, so yeah, a bit of training, someone showing us hands on, <laughs> like someone setting an example, which really challenged 
me. So, I, yeah, that would be how we got into it. Okay. Cheers, Nick. I think we're going to dive into some more practicalities of how you started that in a, in a little bit. But do you want to pass it on to somebody else? Yeah, Paul. Let's go to Paul. It's always nervous, isn't it? <laughs> you can't be nervous, Paul. Come on. Oh, no, I always am. I was <laughs> Uh, anyway, I feel like the Paul's name means small. That's what I feel right now, Paul. So. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I, I'm married to Stella. We've got five kids, and um, I was like saved in prison. And then I think when I think about it now, when I was called into the work, the more the more I see it, it's actually just being called back into what I was saved into. Um, you know, when I was saved. I've been saying lately that if you know for kids born into a home where they speak French, it learns French. If it's born into a home where it, you know they speak Russian, it speaks Russian. And I think I was born into a world where it was small groups. So you know you, we'd we'd gather in little groups in the prison, and then we'd read the Bible, and then you, you're back on the wing, and <clears throat> you're constantly with other people all day. So you're sharing, you're just sharing what you've learned straight away, pretty much. Um. And, and I remember even before I got saved, I'd just met this born-again Christian. And um, I had this dream this night in my, in my cell. And in this dream, I, I knew I was in this house with these Jamaican people. And uh, they, we were in this circle and everyone was praying and singing because that's all I'd seen of the church at that point. And, uh, and this Jamaican guy said something to me. <clears throat> and, and when he spoke... I kind of turned to look at him, see what he was saying. And, and I know in that dream, I saw the house across the road next door, but one. And I knew there was a group sitting in that house doing the same thing. And then all the way down the street, every next door, but one, there was people in circles together, gathered, praying. So that was before I even, I didn't even know God. I, just knew, I knew I'd met a born again Christian. That, so that, that, I think that was in my, right in the beginning. So when we got out, started, you know, learning work ethic, go to work, how do you provide for your family, how do you get up and do a job, and how do you pay bills, all of them things you you learn. And then you, the course of that lifestyle, you go to church, you see church differently then, you see people on a platform, and some people look closer to God because of that. And um, I think me, the way my head was, I was always like, well, I need to be there, because like, they're obviously the ones closest to God, they're the ones working for God. If you're working for God, you obviously, do you know what I mean? You're <laughs> God's favourite, aren't you? So, <laughs> so, so I think there was something in me that was like, you know, I wanted I wanted to work for the Lord, but I also love people. I wanted to tell people about God. I knew if Jesus was in someone's life, they're a different person. So there's always that about me. And then we got the opportunity to help start a church. It was one of the most kind of um, charismatic Christian leaders in the area. Um, we, we, we joined that team of like four others, started the church. It was great, phenomenal, lots of salvations, lots of healings, lots of power, miracles, all of that stuff. And um, yeah, built the church to busting point, really. And, and then I think, I just think then, you know, we went to a place where we kind of shut off doing the gospel because we went somewhere. And I think that grieved the Holy Spirit a bit. and. And then, and then probably not grieve me. 
And then over the next couple of months, we had different things happen. One was um, we were homeschooling our kids. And then our Abigail was born and she didn't move for like seven months. And, and so we were like, we thought she was literally just going to be paralyzed for the rest of her life. Um, so that was a big emotional thing. And then our Noah started getting homeschooled as well, which is was just completely different to homeschooling girls. Um, so there's all of this turmoil in our home. And what we noticed was there was no love and compassion from the people around us. There was no support emotionally. There was no kind of, they weren't getting in the trenches with us. And the thing about Abigail was she literally didn't move. And um, it was a massive deal, you know. We had to, we had to, um, you know, even at six months, she wouldn't stand up or anything. And so we had to pray. We, she got a consultant and everything, and we prayed every time and said she should be doing that. We prayed for that, and God answered that prayer every time until eventually she got all full function of her body back. But I think that did something. I think it did something when we looked at the people and thought, you're out actually with us. And that, that, that brought something in. I'm not saying it's the reason. What I'm saying is it started, it removed the, the, the kind of mirage a little bit. And, um, and in doing that, it was like, here's our Abigail now. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> so, Thank so, you, Jesus. So, yeah, so it's like, so I think without being down on people or anything, I think what it did is they just it removed this mirage and I started looking at, like, what are we doing here? And then I started looking at, there was a, lot, a bit of lack of love on people. People were just being hurt and kind of rejected when they were leaving the church. And I just started seeing things I didn't like. And I think at the same time, God was stirring us up. I started getting a real heart and a hunger for people on, who weren't in the church. And then um, I think a couple of things happened. One was Francis Chan left his big church in America, started talking about how he felt called to go back to small groups. That was a big thing, which I listened to. But then I had this guy come from China who oversaw like 250,000 Christians in the underground church talking about what is a disciple. And I left that weekend realizing two things. One was I wasn't a disciple. And the second thing was I didn't have any disciples and I felt really convicted by that. And so I think that was the catalyst, was all of the work I've done, I literally can offer God nothing through it. Mm. And as great as it was, it's not actually what he asked us to do. And so that was the beginning for me of looking for how to do this. And so um, leaving the church where I was, down here in the northeast, speaking a foreign language to everyone we knew, we felt really isolated instantly. I think going on YouTube, looking, finding people is when we first heard, I first heard Troy Cooper speaking about the free, you know, the free circles and stuff like that. And that's, that's how I met Russ because I kind of chased that down and I thought, oh, is there anyone doing this in England? Because like he's speaking exactly what I'm thinking. And then I met, I got Steve Addison's connecting through that. And then through him, to Russ and then to Russ it, into this whole thing. So Russ was like my first connection into people who spoke this. I'm just thinking because I remember being on the phone and crying because it was like so overwhelming. Aww. So actually, no, I wasn't an idiot. And, and I did, <laughs> God, because up at that point, I was convinced I'd made a massive mistake and drug my family out of church. And I was like, what have I done? Like, what the heck have I done? Because no one, nobody 
that's not an over exaggeration. There was no one who understood what I was saying. They just didn't see it. Everything I said, it seemed like an attack on the church. So, and it wasn't. So that was my way in. Cheers, mm. Paul. So you're just, just to clarify, you're up in the northeast of England, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's opposite the northwest. <laughs> yeah. Russ, why don't you tell us how you got into this journey then? <laughs> so I'm in uh, I'm in South Essex, um, which is south of the northeast and the northwest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm married to Janet. Um, we've lived down here in South Essex, a little place called Thurrock. Um, really all of our adult lives is where we met and married, uh, raised our family. So I have four adult daughters. Um, yeah, they all live close by. Uh, two of them have kids. So we've got four lovely grandkids as well. And um, yeah, that's, that's that piece. And then really fr from my sort of late teens, early 20s, was very much involved just in the leadership of the local church we were part of here. And uh, again, a church that really, uh, traditionally, it was like Assemblies of God Pentecostal, but it really grew up through the charismatic renewal in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, and was really sort of buzzing and booming. It's where we all sort of really came alive in God ourselves, if you like, as young people. And, and it was great. And uh, my, my dad actually led the church. They went off to Uganda and dad handed to a team and then the team asked me to take the work on. So that's sort of really the last. Uh, I did that for about 18, 20 years in sort of full time capacity. And, and it was a great time. You know, I really loved it. All the usual church leadership stuff. It was a it was a good church, not because of me. It was always a great church. Um, bit like Nick was saying, you know, really just pushing out into the community. And we really felt that challenge of just how do we engage the community more effectively? I think we realized um, we were seeing a trickle of new disciples, new baptisms through sort of traditional routes like Alpha and things like that. But, but nothing massive um, when, you, when you sort of measure it against the New Testament and stuff like that. We weren't seeing anything like that. And so we really just began to sort of press on that. What would it look like to engage the community more effectively, almost to sort of lower the threshold of, you know, how do people engage with us? How do we engage with people? Um, and and that, was, that was great in some ways. We sort of formed missional communities and found great and um, better ways of engaging people. But I guess really, as I look back um, to my shame, like I was a pastoral leader lot of years under my belt and and you know I was great at making friends with people we loved hanging out with people lots of hospitality lots of sort of social action social justice type programs so it was all good but I think looking back to my shame you know I didn't know how to sit with people and share the gospel clearly with them look them in the eye in a you know, a relevant, authentic way and just invite them to follow Jesus. And then I was sort of that leader who, when people did decide to follow Jesus, I was always scratching my head thinking, what do we do with them now? Like, once you've done Alpha, like, what's the next course or the next book or the next video series we're going to go through to make disciples? So like Paul was saying, um, not only didn't I know how to share the gospel clearly with people, but actually I'm not sure I really knew how to be a disciple 
and how to make disciples. Um, and I, even if I was discovering some of that, I didn't have a clue how to train other people to do that. Not a clue. Um, and so we just began to pray into that, Janet and I. Our story then involves a lot of pain. So we had a son, James, who was 22. James got sick. Um, a year later, James died of cancer. So that would be nine years this October. So we then go through this grief journey of losing our only son. And, you know, I, we describe that really as just, just the worst days of our life. We had the perfect family. We'd had, we'd had a wonderful sort of almost 30 years of marriage, raising five kids. It was beautiful. Everything, like we had no money. We were always tired, but it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> And, and our son died. I was leading this great church and all of a sudden our sort of world caves in and we're really struggling. I'm, I'm struggling with like getting past lunchtime most days, let alone, you know, I've got church leaders saying to me, where will we be in a year, Russ? Where will we be in five years? And I'm like, I'd, I'd like to see myself past lunchtime, you know, to be <laughs> honest. Um, wow. and, and that was just a long, old, painful journey. And I think... I think in those times we took some time off, some sabbatical and that sort of thing. And really in all of those times, I think we decided two things. Um, we'd love one another as a married couple. Uh, we, you know, we knew too many stories of people who lost children and their marriage broke up because you blame each other and the pain's too much. Um, so we decided that we weren't going to be that couple. And then we had to press into the Lord. We just had to. Uh, we had to make it with Jesus because without Jesus, we're lost. And, uh, and so we just began to pray. And I think our prayer was, Lord, wherever we land at the end of this sort of period of time, however long it takes, we need to have learned how do we make disciples and share the gospel with people? Um, how do we make disciples who make disciples of others? And we just prayed that like every flipping day um, amongst our tears and our pain. Just like, Lord, if we could just do this one thing and just somehow learn to obey you simply, that would be amazing. And then uh, around the same time that sort of Nick was sharing, you know, seven, eight years ago, met a guy, Steve Addison, who some of you know, just picked up some of their basic training. And that began, began to give us just a few small pieces. Uh, they came down to our church, trained in our church. A lot of people loved it. Um, probably 50% of people hated it. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to share the gospel. They didn't want to make disciples, to be honest. Um, and, um, and that sort of started the journey for me. And then that really just leads me to concluding, I'm going to give my life to the rest, to, to this for the rest of my life. Like I've probably got another 25 years to run. This is it for me. And um, for me, it was really a sense that I should resign from my church leadership position and just dive into this full time. Um, a bit like Nick, if you'd said to me, like, this is what you'll be doing in seven years time, I might have laughed at you. I might have pushed back. I might not have imagined any of this. All we knew was like, Lord, how do we obey you? How do we start going? How do we start sharing the gospel? And Lord, could you give us, could you give us those first few disciples? And that's what we started doing. And we just started going out in our community, 
Sometimes we'd bang on doors. Sometimes we'd talk to the neighbors. We'd go see friends. Um, and we would just offer to pray for them and just found that everywhere we went, people were happy for us to pray for them. And that led us just to the next question. Can we share the gospel with you? And people often would say, yeah, go on then. <laughs> so we learned, as Paul said, the three circles, and we just started sharing that with people. And the more we did that, the more we found people who were ready to hear more or turn and believe and trust on Jesus. And then, you know, the rest is history, really. We started training teams and forming new churches. And, yeah, a lot of that's been, been amazing. So here we are. Mm. Well. Thanks for your honesty, Russ. Appreciate that. Um, what about you, mate? Yeah, thanks, Paul. So um, I guess our journey, like me and my wife, my wife Catherine's from Australia, and we've got four kids. Our oldest is now 18. And so I've grown up my whole life going to church, at times dragged there by my mum and dad, at other times going because I kind of knew it was the right thing to do um but about 15 or 16 years ago we, we were living in Australia we moved back to the UK got back involved with the um evangelical church that I'd grown up in that you know they're lovely people caring people prayerful people um so I didn't necessarily disagree with anything that they were doing as a church or anything but we we were asked to lead a home group for young adults. So we thought, yeah, we'll do that. So we gathered these guys in our house on a Wednesday night, got some pizza in, someone played the guitar. It's very informal. And after about six or seven months, we had about probably eight or nine of these young adults come into our house. A couple of them dropped off because they didn't really want to follow Jesus. And that was okay. Um, but all of the other guys, we noticed they, their faith in Jesus themselves was growing. They, it was growing as a community. And they, not me, they started to ask questions. What about our friends at work or our friends down the pub or our friends at the park? How are they going to know about Jesus? Because they're never going to come to church on Sunday. And I used to go to bed after hearing things like that. And it, and it really messed my head up. Because I've grown up, you know, believing and knowing the local church is the answer to the world's problems. God works through the church. But I was looking at a situation here where the local church, as in the mindset, the system, the expectation was actually stopping the spread of the gospel. Because what what I kind of wanted to say to these young adults was, well, just you do with your friends what you've seen us do with you which is what we would do now. But we couldn't really do that because there was an expectation that everything had to happen kind of in the church on a Sunday under the authority of the leaders, whatever that looked like. And so that was, that was something that really impacted me and challenged me. Hey, you know, what's, in, what's the most important here? The spread of the gospel or allegiance to what felt like an unproductive system or way of doing things. Um, the next thing that happened all around that time was I felt God called me to quit my job to give myself to prayer. So that was that was an interesting time. And so our roots of 
of everything we're doing. We felt God saying, give ourselves to prayer and honour the Holy Spirit. So we never had sort of initially these big ideas or terminology or movement or whatever. We were just trying to pray, pray and do whatever the Holy Spirit said. And we began to feel, well, I know I did anyway, pulled in two different directions because we felt it was really important to the Holy Spirit, this sense of what, what, how are we going to solve the problem that loads of people don't know Jesus and are going to an eternity without him? So that was one direction we were feeling pulled in. But then there was this other thing that the Holy Spirit also is obviously really important is working with Christians or doing stuff with people that's already Christians. So we thought the stuff with non-Christians was evangelism. We, we thought in our minds, the stuff with Christians is making disciples. And so we were involved in this church, felt a lot of loyalty to this church, loved the people there. Um, they were going through some challenges as well. We felt a bit of sort of pressure and expectancy that we would just inevitably become leaders and, you know, and all that stuff. And it was a real, um, it felt a real tear, felt torn between these two things. And we thought we're either going to be involved in the church but on the fringes and do evangelism. But that didn't feel right because we thought, what, what do we do with people when they come to know Jesus? Because it didn't feel like what we should do is take them to a meeting on a Sunday. Or we thought we're going to throw our lot in in this church, get into the thick of it, become leaders and try and make disciples and do submission. But that didn't feel right because the reality is you can't change the foundation of something that's been built for 50, 100 years. So I got to the point, I was like, I can't actually cope with this anymore, Holy Spirit. You know, how do we do both of these things? And I remember one night sitting on the floor asking God about this situation. And I, I saw like a flash in front of my mind. And it suddenly dawned on me that making disciples is both of those things. Because Jesus started with lost people, built them into a community, and then somehow grew them and empowered them to make more disciples. So in that moment, my whole understanding of everything, and I mean everything, church, kingdom, making disciples, went from this nice little thing that I'd grown up with to this, wow, this movement multiplying some whole of Somerset ends of the earth. And so... I realized at that point we're going to have some issues with the church that we're involved with because we've just received a massive different understanding or vision that isn't local church on a Sunday, pastors, elders. It's multiplying movement that transforms the whole of Somerset. So I didn't really know what to do with that, but that's, that's what kind of got us on the way. And then um, through trying to give ourselves to prayer and honour the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit took me on some different adventures. And one particular adventure, I went to China. So I got to see with my own eyes this thing that was in our heart that we didn't know how to explain or put words to. So we met um, a couple who'd gathered some initial people in their flat and over seven years that had multiplied in this city that I went to to probably about 60 different churches that met in houses. 
And so it was just amazing watching it because it was so informal and organic in the sense of there wasn't any programs, there wasn't all these planned things, but it was also very organized relationally. So I could see, oh, these guys have a church in their house, but this guy who seems to be overseeing it like a father is checking in with them and who's been baptized and all. So I came home on the flight from China thinking, Jesus, like, where do I go from here? Like, I, I can't go back to just everything I've done for my life until now. Like, I want to, we've got to do something radically different here. Um, and then I think two other sort of key things was I went to a town called Taunton, which is like the main county town in Somerset where we live. Um and I discovered that the, the motto of Somerset is an, like an old Anglo-Saxon phrase, Somersete etale, which means all of the people of Somerset. And that day, it was like God gave us the words to describe what he'd put in our heart, that we wanted to see a movement of disciples, churches that met in homes, workplaces, cafes, wherever, and leaders that would somehow multiply and, and affect and transform like all of the people of Somerset. So that was another thing. And then when we were kind of umming and ahhing, you know, where, how are we going to do this? Should we get involved with, stay involved with the church? How do we not upset people? All these things. I went out for a walk and I said, God, you know, it feels like we need to do something different, but you know, you don't want to be, upsetting people unnecessarily or causing problems in the church or taking people from other churches you know that wasn't what we were wanting to do at all and a guy phoned me up who didn't know anything that we were thinking about at all and he said Ben I was thinking about you this morning and I think I had a picture for you I said oh god yeah go on tell me and I remember I was in our little local supermarket queuing with my food and he gave me this vision that he'd had where he saw me standing before a big field. And he said, I could see in your hand you had this little acorn. And he said, I think God is saying, stop looking at how big the field is and just get on and plant the acorn. Because within that acorn is all of the DNA needed to, for a tree to grow with more acorns and it can multiply. And so at that point, we thought, OK, this is God saying we need to get on and plant this little small acorn that could potentially grow into something big wow. so yeah that's great yeah that's how we got into it i think uh, just an observation as you were speaking i was just reminded of like the process of us actually leaving the church and stuff as well mm. and i think i think i think in that it's, it was never it was never it wasn't like a big comfortable decision Mm. it was very hard it was difficult yeah. it was um you know what i mean it's like alien i think i just as you speak you know I, I remembered that but it was a very difficult thing but it was mm. like you kind of forced into a situation where it's like do you follow jesus now mm. or do you just go back and i think you know in the end that's that's the thing and it's like making a decision of salvation really mm. Is that you're going to lay your life down or not? And I just think as you were speaking, it just reminded me of that. It's like, 
you know, it was it was a choice to actually die. And I think that's the first cost of being a disciple mm. is laying your life down, isn't it? So I just think in the nutshell, this whole process we went through, all of us, all of us went through the process of becoming disciples first. Mm. So just good to be reminded of that, actually. I think we all realised that we weren't disciples <laughs> and we weren't making disciples. Mm. That's hard. That's hard as well, isn't it? Because then you're like, well, how am I meant to pass on something that I, I've never received myself? <laughs> yeah. like, do you know what I mean? It's, mm. but, it, but there is that trust, like you're saying, Paul, that trust of, okay, this is day one. This is like, this is either carry on with what we're doing or it's Jesus and take that step. And it just feel like that. <laughs> It's huge, isn't it? It's huge, huge for all of us. Because we all, you know, we love the people that we were, you know, saying goodbye to and were facing misunderstandings and sometimes accusation maybe as well. And, you know, but that's the cost, isn't it? Of like, mm. are you going to obey me, Jesus? Jesus says, isn't it? You know, are you going to obey me? And, yeah mm. Cheers, Nick. it's really good because we've all described a, a, a process or a journey that jesus was taking us on and paul used those words i think ben did as well death to self you know and we all know that unless we die <laughs> we're never going to produce anything anyway and that isn't just death to a previous life of sin it's it's death to everything and that's what that's what it literally felt like for us you know i mean we were literally facing the death of our son and out of that i'm not saying like god certainly allowed that and and in it worked wonderfully to bring us through into something that i can only describe that feels like new life for us mm. um death to old ways of doing things uh in order that we might live a, a, a new and a different way. It's incredible. Russ, do you want to hit us with this next question, Russ? Yeah, I can do. Um, so so I've, I've probably mentioned this to all of you, but I sort of reflect on it every now and then. Um, and, and it's this thought, this observation across the UK, and you'll sort of, you'll see it in other Western places as well. Um, but it's certainly... Re- relevant for the UK I think um, you hear a lot of people now and in particular like mainstream leaders networks denominations whole groups of churches um, all talking about movement and multiplication and it's almost like you know People are clearly attuned to the spirit. It's a work of the spirit. We know this and we know the spirit is accelerating things. So people are hearing things right. Um, but it's almost like movement and multiplication. They are the next big thing. And I, mm. I make this observation that some are clearly jumping on that. You know, we, we're seeing networks and denominations talk about themselves just being a movement now. Uh, we even see some significant local churches in the UK just re-describing themselves as movements. Um, so they're no longer networks, they're now movements. 
Um, and it's almost like this, this rebranding exercise, you know, everybody wants to put it on their website. Everybody wants to talk about movement. Everybody wants to talk about multiplication. And so, and so really it's, it's the next big thing um, that, that God is doing. And, and it's just like people are catching on to that. But there's also, there's also just this thought of what did we do uh, really to make a start? How did we start? Because I, th I think everybody knows this, that movements don't begin in the big conference halls. Movements don't begin on big platforms. Movements don't begin in big denominations necessarily um, or big ministries, big, important, powerful ministries. Um, often movements begin perhaps in, in ways that we've described today, which is just real simple steps of obedience. So perhaps what did we do to actually begin to make a start on something that we might describe as movement or multiplication mm. or how would you encourage others to make a start if they're becoming attuned to this voice of the spirit in the UK so what did you do or how what would you encourage others to do okay who are you throwing it to first Grab it, Nick. You might hear a baby gurgling in the background. So, <laughs> uh, so we get this training. God at the time is just breaking us. Really, is is highlighting that we're not a disciple. We're not disciples. We're not obeying Him. We're not obeying the Great Commission. We're in a bit of turmoil, and we get this training. And God breaks our hearts for the lost in our community, in our families, in our friendship groups. Uh, and so we try, we try and share that heart and what God's doing with us, with our, you know, our church, our small group. But really, it, I even came back to Manchester. So we did, a, we did a training in East Manchester and it was amazing. We met this guy on the street, just fresh out of prison. He's weeping in the streets. You know, God's doing a work in him. I don't have a clue what to do with him. I'm thinking, how can I get him to my church building on a Sunday? And thankfully, Steve, who we've already mentioned, is like, I'll, I'll walk you through what you can do with this guy because you don't want to suck him out of his relational world. So we get, we, we, we're going through this. I say to one of the guys that, is on our on on our team that I'm mentoring. Right, every Monday we're going out. We're going out. We're just going to get out on the streets, in and around where we meet as church, and we're going to pray for people and share the gospel. Three or four weeks into that rhythm, something comes in, a meeting, something. You know, it's like there's always something that can come in and and, and force. And, and that can kind of slip to the, to the side. And then I ended up going down to Leicester for a whole week of mission with, uh, what's the big Anglican church there? I can't remember. Holy Trinity, I think. Holy Trinity, yeah, Holy Trinity. And with, Steve, uh, with John McGinley. Yeah, and Steve and Michelle were, Addison were based there, and they were doing a, a full mission push. And 
and they were going house to house. So I wasn't really happy about this. Not really done house to house before. <laughs> and uh, was really not happy with God. And so God just had me praying for dogs for the first two days, just to humble me. And after two days of just praying, <laughs> after two days of praying for dogs, including a dog called Satan, that, that night I was just like, God, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Like, I'm sorry for my attitude. I'm sorry that I've been just thinking we're like Jehovah's Witnesses. And, you know, please, I just want to speak to a real person. And then that was it. Next few days, it was it was amazing. Was with people and getting invited into homes. And this is a majority minority city. And so it really gave me a vision for my neighborhood, my area. And I came back from Leicester seeing what can happen when we just obey Jesus, when we just go. Mm. And when we trust in the spirit and trust in the gospel. And I came back and I said to Becky, I said, everything's changed. There's no going back now. That's it. <laughs> everything's changed. <laughs> so one night we had a small group here on a Wednesday night that we would, you know, we had our small group meeting that we were leading. And we just said to our small group, guys, can you, can you stay in and pray? Pray for us because me and Becky are going out tonight and going house to house in our neighbourhood. And we had an amazing time. Like we just saw, oh, you know, we knocked on 20 doors. I think 12 opened the door and we got to pray. Wow. Share with like nine or 10 of them. We met, we met three, there was three Christians on one side of the street, even that didn't even know that there was other Christians on their road, on their street. Wow. It was just so humbling. We were terrified, but we felt like the peace of God with us. And then we came back and shared with the, the guys that were gathered in our home what God had just done. And we said, next week, we're going to take a different one of you out. And we're going to do this. And so we, we, we really, that was a real turning point. I had the initial training, things got in the way, you know, business of being a church leader, you know, business of life, whatever it is. But then having a second, you know, extended period of seeing God at work and somebody encouraging you to come alongside you and come, you know, to, to remind you of why we're here, what, why we're doing what we're doing was huge for us. And, and that was it then. That just set us off. That's great. Thank you. What, uh, Paul, go on. Just how did you guys make a start or how would you encourage others to make that start? Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking then. Um, for us, I think, I think, I just remember God gave me three messages for the church that I preached. And um, there was only our leader who was actually allowed to do series as preachers. He was only him who could do like a preach series. <laughs> and uh, none of us could. We weren't allowed really. But God gave me a series over like six months. It was like, you know, Jesus came to seek and save those who were suffering. Mm -hmm. And the last one was God said, go. And um, that weekend before I preached, a man froze to death in Birmingham on the streets and um, died just frozen. And I think, it was at that point for me, I was like, I was done. And, and I, was, I was just at that reality, like, this is a human being in England dying on the street. 
this is ridiculous. And we're all sat in this building every week. And like my message that week was about, you don't even know what it's like to have peace. Like even the fact when I, I got met God and I could go to sleep the first time in my life and have peace in my mind and my heart, like what a gift that was. And I was saying like, you don't understand how blessed you are, but the world out there has got none of it. So it came that point where I knew then I had to step down off leadership because again, what Nick said, I couldn't, I couldn't run with another man's vision and follow God's vision for my life. They just, they couldn't mix because I was either devoted to him and his vision. That's not his problem. That's, that was my problem. Or I was devoted to what God wanted to do. So we stepped off the leadership and then I was left saying, God, what do I do? Like, what, what am I meant to do now? Because I don't know what to do. How do you make disciples? And as I was walking out the church one day, I just felt God had put this verse on my heart. And as I pulled my Bible out, I looked at it. It said, go make, you know, I think it was in Mark, go make disciples, but, you know, baptize them, teach them to obey my commands. I just felt the Holy Spirit say, you can do that, can't you? You can teach people to obey his commands. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then as I got to the car, I thought, <laughs> but what are they? <laughs> like, what, what are those commands? And, and, and I knew a few. And, and, and so then I really felt it on my heart to just take a Bible and a highlighter and just highlight every command of Jesus in the Bible, <laughs> which is what I did. I highlighted every command. And then I was like, right, this is what he wants me to teach them. And so then I started on that journey. We went out and started a homeless thing and feeding the homeless and just real care and compassion. And, but, but I always had this vision of this massive reproduction of work reaching people so it was like a bit of an ishmael this thing it was the right thing just the wrong context and then when i kind of felt you know these people aren't really listening to the gospel it's time for me to move on um i had another lad with me at that point and i was like right we're just going to go and walk on an estate what estate do you feel is on your heart and he said this estate which is pretty rough and so we went round there and we, we were walking about and I, I knew i had the commands and then in my head, I was thinking, right, what do people do? So then reading my Bible, what did they do? What did they do? And then I read, going to find the people of peace, find this. And so I knew there's people on this community who were waiting to seek God, just like I was. There's wait, people open. And, 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 and I knew at that point, I'm going to have to start knocking on doors to find them. Because we were walking the community, telling people we're praying and stuff. But then I had this other fear. And this other fear was, what when people get saved? And people gather and become a church. Now, what my fear was, was if I open people's homes to other people and they've got children and stuff, how do I protect those people from the wrong types of Christians? And also, how do I protect those people from the wrong kind of people coming in? The, the, if there's kids and stuff, how do I keep them safe if I'm not there? Like, And that really worried me. And then, so they were the questions. And that's, that's when I got in touch with you guys. In, in terms of like, what do you do? And it was then, I think, through through chatting through you, with you guys and then meeting you and then the training, it's then when I, I got a bit of vision and confidence and, oh, yeah, you can actually do church and you can keep it safe and you can, and not safe where you control everything, but safe where it's actually controlled. And then I think this is when I first obviously discovered DBS about how the, the word would just keep them right. So, so that for me was how I started. I started by just listening to the Holy Spirit, reading the Bible and just doing what it said. 
and and God kind of opened the doors and showed me stuff around that and guided me out of the places they didn't want me. That that was another thing which was significant because you can get caught up in doing good works, but it's not always what he wants you to do. So that was our journey into it. That's great. Thanks, Brian. I'm I'm noticing both of you mentioned two things and not in exactly the same way, but I like either listening definitely listening to the spirit and obedience to the word and then, and then going and doing it like literally immediately or very soon. Yeah. So I guess three things there, listening to the spirit, obeying the word and literally going and doing it. Yeah. And um, yeah, that, that seems to be real powerful in, in a lot of people's experience. Anything you want to add, Ben? Um, yeah, I think it's interesting when you think about how did we start, there's different scenarios that I remember that kind of sum up what it was like. And I was reminded yesterday, actually, because we were with some of the team in an area of one of our towns and we're prayer walking that area because next month we're going to go out in twos across the whole area to find houses of peace, to find people that God is working to plant a church there. And uh, we were out there yesterday walking and it was throwing it down with rain and it was cold. One of the guys is um, clucking off his methadone, but he wants to follow Jesus. You know, another lady on the team has health issues. And it just reminded me. It's complete foolishness to the world's eyes and sadly to a lot of church and Christians eyes. You're out doing the most important thing often when you feel you're just not in any state to do anything. And it's those things that, like I say, precious, those small, insignificant things that you do intentionally with a vision in mind. So I just remember we, me and my wife, Catherine, we were sat on the floor with our two sons and that, and that was it. We didn't have anybody else. And we, the kids had been playing with their building blocks on the floor. And you know, I was just thinking, we are not trying in Somerset to build the biggest, best church. We are trying to help other people know Jesus for themselves and to obey what he's saying and to do that in a way that can multiply. So he just said, Jesus, if you bring people to us that are like these living blocks or these living stones, we're going to try and try and help them to be disciples. So I just knew in my mind that if we just had even one person, what we were going to do was massively different from what one person turning up at a church would experience. And so I just would read all the time, you know, what did Jesus do with his first disciples, you know? And that sense of he called them into a work, not he just, they just came and sat down and listened to him doing sermons all day. He said, come and be involved in, in, in our life. And through that, hopefully you'll get taught how to find more people. So that was it. And then just everyone we would meet in our little town of 5,000 people, if they had a problem or told me a problem, I'd pray for them. So I tried to be bold and have courage, which I didn't feel I did have, but I did it anyway. And I just would say to people, if you want to know more about Jesus, come to our house on a Wednesday night. So it wasn't very spiritual, to be honest. It was me making myself 
when I didn't know how to and didn't feel very good at it, just give an invite to our house. And so we ended up having a house full of all, all sorts of notorious people. And it was very, very hard, yet very, very wonderful all at the same time. <laughs> and really, life is not much different now, except that happens in other people's houses as well now. <laughs> so that's good. Um, and also, I had this thing. I needed to go to every town and village. So I read through Mark's gospel and thought, Jesus, we're trying to do what Jesus did. So let's look at what Jesus did. And everything I seemed to read or read, it just seemed to stand out to me, every town and village. So I thought, all right, what do I do? I don't know. No one's telling me what to do. I don't know what to do. But the scriptures seem to be saying every town and village. So I went to every town and village in Somerset just to pray. Often in the rain, feeling a complete failure and discouraged, but saying, Jesus, our intention is to start a movement of disciples that's going to affect every town and village in Somerset. Please, please do something. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah, that wow, guys, that's so good. So, so here's what I'm sort of hearing is the beginnings of movement and multiplication. It's not a rebranding exercise. Mm on a website it's not a big preach it's not a big platform it's not it's not an organizational shift essentially it's a cultural shift of um will we just go and do the work will we obey jesus that's what i'm sort of hearing mm. from you um i happened to be on a call recently that a friend of mine organized and he dragged in this guy roy moran Roy Moran has written a book, Spent Matches, which is apparently really good. I haven't read it. And he talked about this. He talked about how in a Western context, um, we hear about movements from the East. And then what we do is we want to turn that into a system, a methodology, um, and structurally organize a movement. And, uh, and he said this in shifting, I think, his megachurch, uh, they used to talk about this. They used to say to people, we need to fall in love with the problem. Hmm. And he would, he would say, like, our problem was not that we didn't know how to train, that we didn't know how to do systems. He said, our problem was we didn't love people that were far from God. And he said, because we didn't love them, we didn't want to spend time with them. And we didn't know where they were, and we wouldn't give time to them. And he, he said, we just started saying this to everybody. Just, just go spend some time with people that are far from God. Fall in love with the problem, not the answer, not the system. And, uh, and again, that's what I've sort of heard you guys describe, really. Just that simple obedience to Jesus in the spirit and the word. And then going and beginning to find and spend time with people who are far away from the Lord. Um, we've been saying recently, you know, it's unacceptable in our community that there are so many people far from God. It's just unacceptable. And we have to grapple with that. And we have to go to those people and we have to start finding them and sharing the gospel clearly with them. And uh, that's our experience as well, is that anything that I think looks like movement or multiplication, it, it begins in, uh, we might describe it as field one that place where you just go and you just engage 
people that are far from God and you begin to share the gospel with them. It just begins in that simple call to, will we return to obedience, I guess? And I think that's been our experience and, uh, and our constant challenge, which is instead of getting dragged off into teachings and trainings and preaching and sharing our stories all over the place, is actually, will we just do the work? Mm-hmm. I don't well, know. Well, interesting about what you just said, Russ, about spending time with, with people far from God and, and loving those people. It's, it was really humbling for us to see these people that are far from God are obeying Jesus better than I am and better than the church you know, people that were trying to lead in the church. So when you've got someone who's like still would maybe class themselves as an atheist already putting into practice the things that he was discovering from Jesus, it's like, it's massive. I'm not even doing this. And the, and, mm. and the church I'm leading, I don't know how many people are actually trying to do this. And here's this guy that's not yet, he's still discovering jesus but he's already obeying him Mm. it's like oh my word this is like Mm. this is something else yeah and it's it is humbling and 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 just to see jesus at work in that way do you know what i mean Mm. yes to see him like you can go you can go and find Jesus in the, in the harvest. You can go and find Jesus in your community and just marvel at what he's doing. <laughs> and well, and, and I guess you guys have all noticed this as well. We've noticed, like, when you do that, like, you find this acceleration of stuff. Um, it's like things happen really quickly. People are really interested to be prayed for. Yeah. Whereas, like, we, we go sit in a church building with a community of Christians and how long does it take before people are praying for each other? And like, we go hang out with people who are far from God and they want to be prayed for straight away. And then we start talking about the gospel. And yeah, you know, I, I sat in somebody's front room the other day and uh, I'd met these guys in the park. They were all high in the park and uh, only one of them was fit to be sharing with. So we shared with him. And he invited us back to his house. I went back to his house on Monday. I think I spent about an hour, hour and a half there. And uh, fortunately, they weren't high. They were all pretty sober and of sound mind. And uh, we just went around the room, like, praying with these guys. And this woman just says, like, and she'd been really pushing back on the gospel, really giving us grief. And she just sat there and she said, oh, you can pray for me. She said, I'm just not happy in my life. I need happiness. And she just starts sobbing her heart out. And, and then we pray for her and she's just continuing to sob. And Jesus is just doing this thing in her. And she's just, she was just blown away. So you see this sort of acceleration of stuff in the harvest that, you know, might take months in a church context or building. Uh, and, and we always get really, like, really super encouraged by just how quickly we see Jesus working and moving in that environment. I think that, um, I think when you're saying that, see, that's one of the things is, is, is it's, 
When you think about even God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Jesus was the first kind of missionary into earth. And I think, actually, you've got to find something worth dying for. That's the thing. What, what do you find that's worth dying for? And, and doing this, that's the thing. It's compassion-based. Is your love for people, other human beings, to have the opportunity to know God's real, to encounter him, to have him in their life so he can change their life, so they can experience freedom, forgiveness and stuff. That's the, that's, that's the, that's the reward, mm. is that Jesus gets his reward. The cost is, love always costs. Yeah. Always costs. And it often means the cost of our death. But that was one of the things for me. I'm sat in this church and, and, it, and it was great. It was comfy. People were happy and blessed and God was answering prayer and paying for parking bills and stuff like that. But the question on my heart was, was, right, how do we take this church, this God that exists in this building to the people out there? Because they're not going to come in. And it's like the thing is you need both. You need this church. You need this building, this battalion, this base where there's people who pray and because even Nick was saying there when he first started and he went out and that, that whole group were praying for them. That's why it was so fruitful because of the prayer mm. backed by the action. And it's like, it, it, for me, the greatest encouragement, I think, is, is I just wish, in a way, the church would see to just release hundreds of people out and just start that momentum out because... If you could just release 50, 60, 70, 80 more people from every church, the whole climate would be so different. Yeah. It, and it is that love. It's that compassion. It's, and, and the only way to grow that as well is to remove yourself from that other side of it. Mm. It's, it is. It's, it's, yeah. Powerful. Guys, I'm, I'm wondering um, if we revisit the other two questions another time because i know russell needs to go and i feel like actually maybe we should just spend some bit of time praying mm. yeah that'd be good Is that good yeah yeah because yeah. i'm father i'm thinking when paul was talking there's the harvest and there's the harvest workforce and jesus lord of the harvest would you send out workers across the uk yeah, across yeah. Scotland, England, Wales, all of Ireland, north and south, to every corner, Father of the 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 UK, send out workers to to find and discover where you're at work in the world, mm. Father. And pray that people here in this would be encouraged and provoked, Father, to action. But action that is that is guided by your love and your spirit. And we think of Jesus who looked out on the crowds and wept with compassion. Yeah. But out of that compassion, something happened that led to a movement, people being sent out to all the towns and villages and the kingdom coming amongst all different types of people and it continuing to multiply and spread. And we ask that. Father, that will happen more and more in the UK, Jesus. Yeah, God, raise up Nehemiahs who weep over the state of the city 
but their first inclination is to 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 cry out to you god to 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 look to direction for you and not to any other system god raise up men and women across the uk jesus with the heart of the father with with the realization that that our communities and and people we know and love are are on the way to hell without you god like remove any any scales of any lies from the enemy that's that's caused us to fall into apathy and comfort and and to be asleep to the to this to the to the fact that there's so many people that don't even know you jesus that don't don't have life in them that they're still dead in their sin god and break us as a nation god break our break us as a church lord jesus to not only just weep and cry and mourn but to that stand and rise and go in obedience to you jesus to not trust in in our formulas and in our programs but to just go and do the things that you've commanded us to do jesus unless the grain of seed falls into the ground and dies it remains a single seed so jesus we just pray that you'd you'd put to death in us and in your church in the uk everything that needs to die in order to see this life produced here in order to see countless people in your kingdom here god yeah okay. god, we just pray for um you know there's a lot of movement across the nation of like churches together and all these churches coming together but like they have the differences, but they're all together. And but God, you know, you go on all these different websites and there's all different types of vision statements. My prayer is just that you'd make the church have one vision statement, and one mission statement, which is to go and make disciples, to baptize them, and teach them to obey your commands. God, I pray for the leaders of our churches, of our nation. Mm. I pray, God, that they just have the courage to release the church, to release the people. Lord, to trust in your equipping them, your control in their life, that they don't have to keep them, protect them like little sheep. God, that's not their job. But God, it's, it's part of their job is also to release them as an army, to send them out as sheep amongst wolves. So I just pray, God, that you just open the gate and let your sheep out into the nation. Mm. Father, we thank you for the compassion for the lost, but I also pray, for supernatural anointing and power. Mm. God, I pray there'd be a, a, a wave of um, bona fide miracles, God, to the degree of like cerebral palsy being healed and cancers being healed, downs being restored, people, God, with motor neurons disease being recovering from that, God, uh, vegetative things happening, God. Father, we pray for the same level of miracles an anointing on, on our lives as, as what Jesus saw. God, this nation sometimes needs to wake up. These young people as well are so distracted, so absorbed in other things. I often think of like that picture of Baal and Elijah, God. It was the miracle that came that woke everybody up. So we ask for power for this work. We ask Holy Spirit, you'd stretch out your hand as we go out mm-hmm. to perform signs and wonders. Not for our glory, not so we can YouTube it and put it on Facebook and get blue ticks and followings, God, but 
so that actually under under the under the radar of everything else what what gets talked about in communities and the places we go is god yes. is that god's real mm. and so, so my prayer is that as we decrease and we disappear god that you'll appear more and more and more Jesus. in people's lives yes god thank you lord amen yeah yeah, Jesus, we're praying that you will stir great hunger and searching in, in people's hearts everywhere. Lord, that people across the UK would truly begin to cry out for the living God. Mm. Lord, that you would, Lord, by your spirit work to cause people to seek after you, to search for you, Lord. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would also do that within us as disciples and amongst our churches in the UK, that we would truly begin to search, Lord, after you and seek after you and the work of your spirit and your word, Lord, to see it reproduced and multiplied, to see, Lord, our towns, our villages, our cities filled with the word of the Lord, we pray. Lord, that people everywhere will cry out to you, Jesus, and seek after you and begin to follow you. Lord, give us boldness and courage, Lord, to take those steps of simple trust and obedience to you. Lord, and we pray, Lord, that you would raise up many laborers for an incredible harvest. Lord God, for a fruitful harvest everywhere, for fruit that would last. Lord, we're praying for um, Lord, we pray you'd raise those labors up from existing churches, Lord, from Christians, from the new disciples and the work we're seeing happen in the field, Lord, that you would continue to lead us by the Spirit to those that are seeking after you, to those perhaps people or houses of peace, and from them raise up new laborers, Lord, that the work might multiply, that the kingdom might grow and increase everywhere, that the glory of the Lord might fill the earth. Lord, as the waters cover the sea, we pray in Jesus' name that your purpose, Lord, might come about. We ask this in your name. Lord, do it, we pray. We cry out to you, Lord. We're just desperate without you. Um, we're lost without you and outside of you. Um, only you can do this by your word and your spirit. Lord, do it, we pray. Lord, be gracious to us. Be patient with us be kind to us we ask in jesus name amen amen well thank you brothers it's great to be on this journey with you and i appreciate you and love you all and um, and, you, mate. and obviously if people are watching i'm sure we'd all be happy wouldn't we if people want to reach out for advice or help or encouragement and, yeah um, we'll uh one of the things that I, I have to say, one of the things I've discovered in this sort of this this sort of community of of labourers or workers, where we all discovered each other, and and those from some other countries as well, is just that generosity to serve each other, you know, freely, no cost, open source, uh, completely decentralised. Nobody's looking for any glory. I found that like just to be an amazing culture. Um, to really easily access and benefit from. Uh, and as well, one of the things that super helped us right at the start was like just some basic trainings really super helpful as well. 
like it doesn't solve everything but super simple training like in simple tools and skills to start doing the work i tell you what, it was a game changer for someone like me mm. we'd happily pass those things off brilliant i'll pass my bank account details on yeah <laughs> do it cool. mate <laughs> <laughs> so yeah if you've been encouraged or inspired send your, or challenged send, send us your giving <laughs> yeah all right bro yeah all right and we'll um we'll hit part two next time yeah all right thanks cool. everybody thanks, love you guys love you, mate. love you guys see you soon <laughs>